Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. So we are talking, we're continuing our series today of the people of the King, which is the book of Philippians. And I'm going to start out, we've been talking, everybody's been giving a little Bible study tip. So I'm going to give my tip right at the very beginning. And my tip is to understand the context of what you're reading. And so there's a couple of reasons for that. One, when we take things out of context, we use them improperly. We might apply those things in ways that are less than helpful, potentially even harmful, right? But also, you know, you can read the Bible without getting much understanding of context. In fact, I did that for many, many years. I'm that person who buys a book and, like, I skip over the introduction and the foreword because, like, that's not part of the book, you know. And so, um, looking at Danielle, she probably reads all the introductions, I'm sure, every time. Um, But in my age, as I have grown, um, I have learned, I really wasn't trying to do that, but that really just fits. Um, (laughs) I've learned how important it is, right, to have that context. And especially as you study the Bible, you can read things and you can definitely glean things from that superficial reading. But if you really understand, like, who wrote this and what was in their head when they wrote this and who were they writing it to and what was their life like when they were reading this, right? And so you gain a much richer and deeper understanding of what God intended when he decided to put those words in this book, right? So easy ways to do that. Um, Bibleproject.com has some really awesome videos. There's a book intro for every single book of the Bible. They're like 10 minutes long, really fun. Um, cartoons written, 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 drawn, cartoons drawn as you are watching the video, but also your study Bible, right? Every study Bible has like a little intro page at the beginning of each um, book or commentaries, right? Which are also great. And I brought some examples for you if you want to see some. So um, that's my study tip. And that's what we're going to start with, the context of Philippians 4. And so Danielle gave us great context when we started this series, just talking about the book of Philippians, but a couple things that are really important as we talk about our passage today, just the fact that Paul is under house arrest, right? So he's stuck in his house, uh, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, still had to pay his rent, still had to buy food and stuff, but wasn't allowed to leave his house. So he was dependent on other people to help him to do that. And he was facing the real um, possibility of being executed, right? So it wasn't just like, oh, I'm just on house arrest until I'm not on house arrest anymore. And like, no, this was really kind of a serious thing, right? So, um, and he's writing to us out of that place. So you kind of have to understand his mindset. And then he's writing to the Philippians who are in a Roman colony, and they're pretty proud about being Romans, which is part of the reason Paul talks about being citizens of heaven and not just citizens of Rome. Um, But they were also facing persecution, right, because they were preaching the gospel, which was challenging Roman authority. So they were um, under persecution, which is why a lot of the things that Paul talks about in this book are encouraging them to overcome that. So Paul's letter is thanking them for their support um, and encouraging them to imitate the life of Jesus as he is doing but also to stand firm in the face of persecution. And I've italicized them there because one of the other things that we're talking about throughout this series is that Paul wrote this letter to a church. He didn't write it to one person. He wrote it to a group of people, to a church of people, a community of believers, a fellowship of believers. And so when we hear these things, a lot of the passages that we hear in Philippians are very common, very well-known to us, and they're easy to take in as an individual person 
but it's also really important for us to try and take those in as a group, right? What does that mean for me as a person, but what does that mean for us as a church as well? And so those are important things for us to remember as we go through our passage. So the passage that I'm covering today actually starts in um, verse 8, but I'm going to start a little bit before that because I think this also helps to flow with some of the things that we're talking about. So in verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I actually have that on a little wall hanging in my office, that passage, um, but it doesn't have the scripture reference on it. Isn't that funny? I'm like, oh, that's from Philippians, but it doesn't say so. Because that could be kind of a secular way of looking at things, right? Focusing on the good things in life. In fact, my kids... Um, when I was little, my mom had a record. Yes, I am old. My mom had a record of children's songs. I'm not even trying. It's just too easy. Um, from Burl Ives. You guys know who Burl Ives is? Yes, yeah, so now that's confirming how old I am. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the snowman with the little plaid vest, it's the voice of Burl Ives. Really lovely voice. So I had these children's songs that I loved when I was a kid. So I got the CD of that for my kids when my kids were little. And Burl Ives has a song called The Donut Song. And the words are, as you walk the streets, you'll have no cares if you walk the lines and not the squares. As you go through life, make this your goal. Watch the donut, not the hole. Kind of goes along with that, right? So... Um, I was going to play it for you, but I ran out of time. I had to cut it. Um, but that's as close as I might sing it later if there's time. Um, and I think that's actually valid, right? We can focus on good things. It's not a bad thing. For me, when I get to the point of whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, that's when I feel like, okay, there's not a lot of things in this world that I think are praiseworthy besides God <clears throat> when I think of things that are praiseworthy. Um, but still, not bad, and, and we'll kind of come back to that a little bit. So then we pick it up in verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen from me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's interesting. You see there in verse 9, the God of peace, and then back up in verse 8, the peace of God, right? So God's peace is pretty prevalent throughout what Paul is thinking of here. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So Paul's talking about how the Philippians did send him some support, some food and money through Epaphroditus. But it took a while. It was delayed, right? And so and she said, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he's not mad that it took a while. And this is interesting. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances I found this really interesting because Paul was in need. <laughs> he didn't have some stuff that he needed. That's why he was rejoicing when he got this gift. He's also rejoicing because this was evidence of their care for him, right? Their friendship, their relationship. That you, you give gifts to people you care for, right? And so he was rejoicing over their concern and their friendship. Um, but it's interesting. He's like, I'm not saying this because I needed it. 
but he did. What he's saying is, I wasn't freaking out. I wasn't panicking, right? Because I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And he continues, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Ready for the refrigerator magnet verse? Here it is. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. How many of you have seen that on a bumper sticker, refrigerator, coffee mug, throw blanket, that's the thing now, right? Pillows, like it's everywhere, right? So as in all things that we use a lot or maybe overuse, we tend to misuse it, misunderstand it, right? As I was preparing for this, I was looking through, I was just Googling some stuff, and I found there is a professional basketball player who writes this verse on his shoes. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And then they interviewed him, why do you write this? And he said, well, it'll hopefully inspire people to find something that drives them, whether that's a verse or some other motivating force that keeps you hungry and keeps you driven. I like those reactions. That, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> Is this what Paul had in mind? Probably not. I find it super ironic that he's talking about keeping you hungry when Paul was actually hungry <laughs> at the time, right? So, is this, is this what Paul meant? I, if I had had more time, I would have built the, time, the sound actually into the presentation, but I didn't have time to figure that out. So, so, no, that is not what Paul had in mind when he wrote this. So then this is the other really popular thing that people do with this verse. Right? If you can tap into God, you can climb mountains. Or maybe dangle from one <laughs> with three fingers. Like, I really think he's probably just five feet off the ground. But it does look like he's about to fall to his death, right? Um, anyway, that you can just do whatever you want. You can do these really great things beyond your abilities. <laughs> no, that's not it. Or that we have superhuman strength, right? I didn't make these up. These were there. But look at that kid's face. He's like angry. It's like scary, right? It's terrifying. Oh, I could do all things. And then the thing above it, success comes in cans, failure comes in cans. Okay. So I think you know where I'm going here. Okay. All right, so even Kermit knows that we have misused this verse. We have taken this out of context, right? I didn't make this. It was already there. Somebody else already made it. Okay, I had Dr. Evil up here too. Dr. Evil saying, I can do all things. All right, but it I, <laughs> shouldn't have cut him out. Okay, all right, back to our verse. Uh, so... So we're going to look at 12 and 13 mostly today. So Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content. So I love that he says, I've learned it. This wasn't just some instant download. It wasn't a prophetic word that God just popped into his mind the ability to be content in all situations. He had to learn this, right? And so we learn things through our own experiences. Obviously, we learn a lot that way. We learn things through the experiences of others. But Paul 
Remember earlier in this letter, Paul's like, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. Like, Paul knew his Bible. And a lot of what he has learned came through reading his Bible, knowing God, knowing who God is, knowing what to expect from God. And this I love. I love that he calls it a secret. Like I wanted to call the teaching, I've got a secret. (laughs) Paul knows it's a secret. And a secret means not everybody knows it. And I think that's pretty fair to say. How many people do you know would be content in a situation where they don't have enough to eat? Right? So Paul's in some secret club. Mike refers to the secret club a lot. Um, And in some some ways, you can also interpret um, secret as mystery. Right? Paul's actually speaking to some folks who were interested in like some of the mystery religions at the time. And to me, a mystery is something that just doesn't always make sense. Like a bush that's on fire but doesn't burn. Or a sea that parts so thousands of people can walk to the other side. Or all kinds of things that happen in the Bible, right, that are not necessarily logical. I think this falls into that category, being content, right? And Paul isn't just content. He's, like, really content, right? He's content in any and every situation. So if we look at this word content, he says, whether in plenty or in want. So, content with plenty. You wouldn't think we'd have to talk about that. If you have enough, why wouldn't you be content? Have you heard of the, uh, what is it called, the lottery curse? how so many people who win the lottery, like, destroys their life. And they say, I wish I would have ripped this thing up and never won, right? I've even experienced this in my life when I've gotten, like, a bonus or a gift, and all of a sudden you come into some money and you're like, oh, my gosh. (gasps) At first you're like, oh, this is awesome, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to waste this. I need to make sure I spend this well because it's not coming back, right? So... So there is something about being content and plenty. Also, just being content and the opposite of coveting, right? And if you don't know about that, I recommend Madam Blueberry. Yes, really great story, Madam Blueberry. She wants better stuff than she has now. She lives in her treehouse. She goes to Stuff Mart. She buys too much stuff. Kind of know what happens next. So if you haven't watched it, highly encourage you, Um, Madam Blueberry. So, contentment is the opposite of coveting, right? But really, to Paul's situation, he's enduring hunger. And here's the thing that, it doesn't really talk about this in the passage, but I wonder, like, did he know that the Philippians were sending him something? And even if he knew, did he know when it was coming? We don't know that. We don't, it doesn't, it's not really mentioned in there. It's not like today where like, he could get a text like, hey, Paul, getting ready to send you some money, but it's delayed. It'll be there in about a week, right? By the time that message got to him, the, right, the gift could have gotten there. Um, so I think part of it, and I think that's actually the greatest anxiety, that would be the greatest anxiety for me, is if you tell me, okay, you got to skip dinner today, I'll be very unhappy, but I can get through dinner. But if you say... I don't know when you'll eat again. That's a whole other kind of anxiety, right? That's a whole other kind of stress and worry. Yet Paul, 
expresses restful contentment. That was one of the commentaries. I'm like, oh yeah, that's nice. Restful contentment, which is the absence of fear, the absence of worry, which again, not a logical response. That's why it's a secret. It's not a logical response, which goes back to what Paul was saying in um, 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, right? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In my mind, that means it doesn't make sense. It's not understandable that you would be at peace, right? So God transcends our understanding, peace that transcends understanding. So what is Paul's secret? I can do it all through Christ. Here's my secret. Here's the answer to my secret. A couple other versions say, Christ is the one who gives me the strength I need to do whatever I must do. And the message, I like this, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. It's really beautiful the way the message puts that. The message also, in, uh, instead of the word secret, it uses the word recipe, which I really like. Annie and I were just talking about recipes, how we find them annoying. But this is a good one. Because <laughs> um, a recipe is like, here's your instructions. Here's how to do it. So I like to call this Paul's secret recipe for being content. So let's talk about it. So how does Paul do this, right? How has he achieved this? He is not, we're going to do the not, what it's not and what it is. So Stoic philosophy was very popular at the time. This whole idea of like, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, like building up a wall so much so that you are not impacted by anything. I kind of think of Dr. Spock, right? So um, it, the commentary said it was emotionless, wooden impassivity, like I'm not affected by anything. That is not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that you need to be self-sufficient. He's saying quite the opposite. You need to be God-sufficient, right? And this isn't something that you get on your own, that the strength is given through Christ who gives me strength. So it's not something I can come up with. I can't be self-sufficient in this and do this on my own. And he's not saying that you should hide from pain or suffering or numb it. We're very good at that in our culture, right? Our drugs of choice, lots of things there. We find lots of ways to avoid suffering. No, Paul seems to embrace suffering. He talks about it over and over again, how good it is. It's not about denying the reality of our world, right? It's about shifting your focus from the world to what's good and beautiful, noble, true, noble, right, pure, lovely. You'd think I'd have that memorized by now, but I don't. And to remember that our citizenship is in heaven. We're walking around here, but we're just on vacation, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. This is not where we live. And he's also not going it alone, right? Even though he is dependent on God, he rejoiced when his people supported him. Even before they supported him, he knew they were praying for him, right? Paul is really thrilled about this relationship, this community, that even though they're not in the physical location, he knows they're a family, right? And so that's important for him. So we had some images that weren't right. I feel like this one is a little more appropriate. 
I'm, a per, I'm an image person. Like, I only learn through pictures. So I have to, I have to put a picture to things in order for them to really stick. So I um, instantly thought of the tree in Jeremiah 17, 7. And so I like this artist's rendition of this tree, right? So, um, so Jeremiah is a prophet who wrote to people who were living in exile. They were in a pretty bad way to go, right? So this is a very encouraging passage to them. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. So I love to garden thinking about plants, trees. My son's taking horticulture classes, so there's a lot of conversations about plants and trees in my house. And what do roots do? That's where you get your water, right? But that's also what keeps you from blowing over, right? So roots are super important, keeping you in place. The tree does not fear when heat comes. It doesn't say that the tree doesn't fear if heat comes. It's when heat comes. So the tree knows that heat's coming. I need to dig deep, make sure I have enough water for that, right? Its leaves are always green, which I think, you know, it's easy to think, oh, it's pretty. No, what do green leaves mean? Green leaves are, mean that the tree is, the nurse just said it, healthy, right? Yeah, a healthy tree. You will know by its leaves, right, that it's healthy, that it has everything it needs. It has no worries in a year of drought. And this, I think, gets back to that idea of, you don't know how long this is going to last. So you can, you know, a week, you can go a week without rain, but after we've gone a couple months, I'm sure that tree's going, all right, how long is this going to last? Right? How many Kimmy Schmidt fans are in the room? (laughs) Kimmy Schmidt will say, you can do anything for 10 minutes. So if I know that I have to endure something for 10 minutes, like if you tell me I have to jump into the freezing Mississippi, but I only have to stay there for 10 minutes, I'm like, all right, I might be able to do that. But if you tell me I have to jump in there and, you're not, and you'll, you'll tell me when I can get out, I'm going to have a harder time enduring that, right? And I think of this with COVID. Do you remember at first? I remember very vividly standing in the hallway at work. They're sending us home like, oh, everybody's overreacting. We'll be back in a couple weeks which made it seem tolerable, right? Even fun at first, it's like, awesome. I get to be home for two weeks, right? This is great, we're eating Doritos, we're eating like vacation food, because we're like, oh, this is short-term, temporary. Do you remember when it settled in though? Like, oh, this isn't over. And not only was it not over, we didn't know when it would be. I think that was a huge part of that stress, right? But the tree, that is grounded and rooted in Christ isn't affected by those things, right? And whether that tree is us as a person or whether it's us as a church, right? If we as a church body or we as individuals can be rooted in Christ, in truth, right, who we know God to be, then it doesn't matter when the heat comes, when the wind comes, because it will, it will come, right? You just have to be prepared, and you're prepared through your roots. 
So a number of years ago, I was going through some tough times. This is probably about 15 years ago, dealing with some things. God gave me a picture. See, because I'm a picture person. Um, you probably can't read that. But yes, I drew this. I am not an artist. Um, but it's not the artistic quality that matters. It's the, the meaning behind it. So this is a little seedling, a little plant that has found its way up through some thorns. Um, so you don't see the roots, but there's roots there, right? Little seedling has to have roots, has to dig deep for strength and stability. And that's based on who I knew God to be. And so those thorns, you can see those thorns down there. There's words in there. Those thorns represent, really, the world, right? Sin, pain, suffering, fear, anxiety. That's the world, right, that we have to walk around in, that we have to exist in. But this little seedling finds its way around through, over, under these thorns, gets to the top so that it can spread its little leaves and reach up. You've seen plants, right? What do plants do when they're shaded, right? If a plant's coming up and so it goes around, right? You've seen really weird pictures of what plants do when they have to find their way to the light. Plants will always reach toward the light. They'll always keep going. For us, it's a choice, right? It's like Paul was saying, whatever is good, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, think on those things. Remember your citizenship is in heaven. Not down here. These thorns, this is not your citizenship. That is your citizenship, right? And as this little plant chooses to not look down, but to look up and reach its little leaves up toward the light, things come down from heaven. That yellow is coming down. The gifts that God freely gives us of peace that Paul was talking about. Joy. Paul mentions joy in this book 17 times. Freedom. I think freedom is really an important thing here. And God's love. So as this little plant is reaching, choosing to reach toward the sun, it is receiving that warmth, that love, right? Can, it's springtime, right? We were just talking about the sun and like how great it'll be to just go outside and just feel that warmth, right? Don't you just want to like oh, take it in? And as that plant takes in that light and that sunlight and that warmth and it grows stronger, it grows more leaves to take in that light, right? So the more light it has, the more it grows. The more it grows, the more it can take in. It's this beautiful supernatural exchange that's happening, right? That's what God has for us. If we can be rooted in Christ, we know our firm foundation, but we remember that we're citizens of heaven and we put our focus and our mind on that, right? Then we can overcome these little thorns, we can overcome the challenges of this world, whether it's hunger or whether it's anxiety, whether it's bullying, trauma. That's where I was when this picture came to me. I was working through some trauma. Those thorns were very real. And this was the hope 
The hope was that if you just keep looking up, you hold on tight at the bottom and you reach for the stars, you reach for that sunlight and that warmth, you're going to get up above those thorns. So we're going we're gonna to do a little audience participation next. Um, so I'm going to ask you to do, before I move to the next slide, is think about who you know God to be. So this might come from things you know from the Bible, stories you know from the Bible. This might come from your own personal experiences. Oh, great, we've lost technology. Yay. Um, <laughs> perfect timing. This might, oh, yay. Thank you. This might come from experiences that you've had, experiences that you know of other people, right? But what I want you to do is think about what God has done, what you know God has done, and I want you to translate that to what does that say about God's character? What does that say to you about who God is, right? Because God doesn't just do these things for those people at that time. That, this whole book is about teaching us who God is. Everything in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, who is this God that we serve, right? So all those stories are to teach you about God's character. So if we think of, you know, the Red Sea that was split so that the Israelites could walk across and escape their captors, right? What does that say to me? Well, that says to me that God is powerful. He can split a sea. And that he's caring. He cares about those people. He wanted to rescue them, right? So I want you to just think of at least one, maybe three, adjectives that describe the character of God. I'm going to give you a second to think about that. And everybody has to do this. There will be a test. This is on the test. And then, uh-oh, Elijah, uh-oh, Elijah. He says, uh-huh, there's four of them working on it. Four of the young people are working on it. They'll figure it out. So, what should we talk about? The donut song. Okay. Oh, oh, does that mean you fixed it? No. As you walk the streets, you'll have no cares with you. Walk the lines and not the squares. As you go through life, make this your goal. Watch the donut, not the hole. I'm off to jolly England, where bulldogs all wear pants. Off to Pango Pango, where alligators dance. My friend, the little sparrow, flew close enough, will take me when he flies, even to the rainbow, to read with my own eyes. When you walk the streets, you'll have no cares. If you walk the lines and not the squares, as you go through life, make this your goal. Watch the donut, not the hole. I forget. You want, you want me on the worship team now, right? <laughs> how, are we, how are we doing? Oh, we're still stuck. 
there's another verse to that. Oh, well, we're, we're moving on to the connecting card. This is good. Oh, I kind of see it. Oh, oh no. All right, we're not going to be able to do this, are we? No. All right. Never mind. Okay, I had this really awesome thing planned, which, of course, technology... It is. It's a no. It's a no. Okay. That's all right. That's all right. Still good. So I'll just tell you what it was going to be, and you can imagine it. So you were going to go to this really awesome website, and you were going to enter these adjectives about God, right? Actually, we're just going to do this the old-fashioned way, and I want you to just yell them out. That was a four-syllable word. It's a good one. It's a good one, Steve. So, those were all going to appear on the screen in this lovely little word cloud. And we could look at that, and we could see our collective faith. So, whereas someone may have said a word that you hadn't maybe experienced yet or known about God... There's someone in this room who does see God as benevolent and faithful. Even if you don't, there's someone in this room who does. And we are here as a body to dig deep together, to hold on to who we know God to be, to support each other in that, right? To support each other in this process of making it around and over and under these thorns so that we can spread our little leaves, right? and soak up God's truth and light. Okay, so now the worship team can come up, the real worship team. (laughs) And our invitation is to do more of what we just did. Think about what do you know about God? Write it down. Think of some of these words that you heard people say. He's dependable, he's loving, he's benevolent, he's faithful, he's a promise keeper, right? All these things, you should be able to come up with a pretty long list. But we forget about that. But it's important for us to remember who God is, not so much what he does, right? Because what he does was just one example of his character. He's so creative, right? We think, oh, if God could just come and do that for me, then that would solve my problem. But really, what he has for you is so much more creative and maybe something very different, right? And the trust is not in what he's going to do. The trust is in who he is and that he's with you through all of these things, through your hunger, through your plenty, right? And that if you can just hold on to him and remember where he is, then you're going to make it. You're going to be able to reach above those thorns. And then put that into practice. Choose to worship God for who he is, despite your circumstances. You know, Paul says to rejoice always. Rejoice.